Grace, mercy, and peace are on yours from God our Father, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, if you were given power and authority to do whatever you wanted for a day, what would you use that power and authority to do? I'm not just asking if you were the president for a day, what would you do? What laws would you make or overturn? More than that. I'm not asking if you had a genie in a bottle, what three wishes would you wish for? More than that. If you could do anything, if you had power and authority to do anything, what would you do? Would you grant yourself riches? All your family and friends, would you make them rich? Would you heal your aches and pains and your sicknesses and all your friends and family? Would you snap your fingers and have a cure for cancer? Would you put the Cardinals in the World Series? Would you move the Cardinals back to St. Louis for football? It is football season. Would you elevate yourself above that coworker, your te- teammate, who always seems to get in the way of your success? Would you give yourself the power to run the company or the school or the state, the country, the world? Are you ready for that responsibility? And if you would... For what purpose would you do that? In our epistle lesson today, St. Paul points out something rather amazing about Jesus. It's actually right between the parts we read. St. Paul points out that Jesus, though he was God and had all power and authority, he chose to lay his divine power aside and he humbled himself as a servant. And more than that, he humbled himself to be a suffering servant He became obedient to death, not just other men, not just obedient to his creation, but to his greatest enemy, death. Even death on a humiliating cross. And for what purpose? His purpose was for you, to save you from your sins. That's what Jesus did with his divine power and authority. And St. Paul says it's important for us to consider this. He has many things he says today in an epistle lesson about how we should act and conduct our lives, but he says consider that first. Considering Jesus and what he did in his divine power and authority and what he did with it should inform us, who say we are Christians, who are disciples of Jesus, in how we should live our lives, how we conduct our day-to-day life what we say and how we say it, what we do and how we do it, and what we prioritize in our life. So back to the question, if you were all-powerful for one day or one week, if you had God-like power and authority, what would you do with that God-like power and authority? In our gospel lesson, we see what Jesus does with his power and authority. Although he had laid his full power aside as God, and was now walking in the flesh, he still could use his divine power and authority whenever he wished. And yet, he chose to be humble even when he uses it. Think about it. When he walks on the water, he calms the waves and the storms. He does incredible healings. He, he raises the dead. Most of the time, he tells people, shh, don't tell anyone what you saw. Or, after like he feeds the 5,000, He's nice, he shakes people's hands, and then he steals away in the night. 
He doesn't rally people. They rally around him, but he does not use his power and authority to rally people. In our gospel lesson then, Jesus had just arrived in Jerusalem for the Passover, the highest point of the year for the Jews. People all around the Mediterranean world would come to Jerusalem to celebrate this Passover, the celebration of when Moses, when God, through Moses, brought Israel out of Egypt. And it would be the last time on earth he would celebrate this Passover with his disciples. And he knew what was before him. He knew he was going to be handed over this week, publicly lied about, tortured, and crucified on a cross with criminals. He knew his own disciples would betray him, deny him, and flee from him. He knew his own countrymen would falsely accuse him. Jesus knew who was going to do it. He knew which Roman soldier was going to beat him and spit in his face. He knew which ones were going to pound the nails, the spikes into his hands. And yet Jesus did nothing with his power and authority as God to stop it. And yet Jesus does decide to use his power and authority in our text. In Jerusalem, in front of huge crowds that are gathering for the most important time of the year. And what does he choose to do with his divine power and authority. If I were Jesus, perhaps I'd strike all the chief priests with blindness, as Elisha once prayed to strike this Syrian army with blindness. And maybe the Roman soldiers with a plague. Then they couldn't come after me. Then maybe I'd persuade the crowds to take over important buildings and get a small militia or army to support my cause. Perhaps I would ride through the street in a gold chariot and hold large rallies talking about my vision of the new Jerusalem and have people follow me that way. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus did ride into the city of David, but not on a gold chariot. He rode in on a donkey. He had a large crowd with him for sure, singing shouts of, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the son of David. But the crowd was not popular. The crowd was not rich. They didn't have the influencers in this crowd. Instead, the crowd consisted of his disciples and primarily a band of poor peasants, many of whom Jesus met along the way in his travel from Galilee to Jerusalem. You can imagine who's in the crowd. There's Peter and James and John mere fishermen who've been following for three years. There's Mary Magdalene, who was a prostitute, inhabited by seven demons, now cleansed of that. There's blind Bartimaeus from Jericho. He had just met Jesus recently, and now he's seeing with more than just eyes. There's Lazarus. Lazarus, who was raised from the dead after being dead for four days. Whoever did that before? And his sisters, Mary and Martha, are for sure there. Oh, and there's probably Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus came along with blind Bartimaeus. Zacchaeus was loaded at one point, rich, but he gave all of his money away, and so all of his earthly influence. That's the crowd. Now, some of these people were expecting Jesus, with all his power and authority, to go into Jerusalem and overthrow Rome and gather all the Jews together for this year's Passover, as Solomon did, the son of David, when he gathered all of Israel for the dedication of the temple, the first temple. But some of these people would become disappointed. Jesus does enter the temple. 
It's not the same temple that Solomon built. That one was destroyed by Babylon 500 years earlier. This one's a rebuilt temple. It is still the most important place in Jerusalem and the place where people went to find God. Or a piece of bread if you're poor and desperate and in need of some kind of pity if you're blind or crippled. Jesus went to this temple and of all things, he cleanses it. He casts out the money changers. It's the most angry anybody's ever seen Jesus. Anger is not sin, but anger leads to sin. Jesus being God did not sin. He casts out the money changers, those who are selling animals for sacrifice. He didn't go after the Romans. He went after the Jewish leaders. And why did Jesus go after them of all people? Because they claim they have power and authority. Over what? Over the people's sins. It's not that Jesus was questioning the sacrifices that were done in accordance with the law of Moses. They were from God. But it's how they were doing it. The chief priests and the elders of the Israelites knew that there would be two million Jews from all the Mediterranean world coming to this one place, this one week of the year, to celebrate the Passover. And they all knew that these people had to have a Passover and to do it. So they had all these animals brought into the temple to be sold. And their prices jacked up. It was a great revenue stream, at least, for the chief priests and the elders of the people. And more than this, the Jewish leaders had convinced the people that they were the true power and authority of their lives. Only through the chief priests and the elders of the law could you get to God. You had to have their approval to have God's approval. The chief priests had turned the people's trust away from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of David and Moses, and turned the people's attention rather to the chief priests and their cool clothes and the way they folded their hands and all their man-made laws. And so now here Jesus is, God in the flesh, with all the people who followed him, some for three years, some for just a couple days, and imagine now as Jesus stands in front of the crowds and reteaches what they had learned from the chief priests and the elders of the law. Reteaching them the importance of Moses delivering God's people from slavery and from sin. And how this God promised his kingdom would rule forever on earth with a son of David. And how Jesus then claims to be the son of David. And how a new kingdom was coming. And was already here before them. And how Jesus preached repentance from sin. And how God's grace was not something you could buy off. It was free. It was free for all people, rich or poor, even Gentiles. And even, especially, for the sinners, or the outcasts, the poor, the blind, the people standing right in front of the chief priests and the elders. And then imagine seeing with your eyes Jesus proving his divine authority and power over sin, and as the new usherer in of the kingdom of God, as he walks up to the poor and the crippled and the lame who have gathered to hear his speech, and he heals them. He heals the most desperate. He heals the outcasts who have no influence on the religious leaders. And he wasn't healing to convince anybody to believe in him. 
He was simply healing to show the outcasts, the sinners, that they had an advocate. And more than that, they had a God who loved them and cared for them in real and tangible ways. And a God who most importantly forgives them. A God who showed his power and authority in love in front of the religious leaders who didn't love and who didn't care and who were not their advocates. And when the chief priests and the elders of law, they see these miracles, they don't believe. They don't believe in awe and wonder. They don't say, wow, look at this power and authority that this man has, even power of sickness. It's a miracle. Praise God. God is at work among us on this beautiful, important week. Thank you, Jesus. No, instead, they walk up to Jesus and they say this. By what power and authority do you do these things? Seriously? Now, Jesus could have answered a number of ways. He could have said, I do this by the authority of my Father in heaven. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses, and David, whom you claim to worship, but do not. He could have said something even more stark. He could have said, uh, well, I'm God, so I guess I do it by my own power and authority. But he doesn't do that here either. Jesus could have struck them with blindness or a plague right there and said, by what authority or power are you going to now be healed? You better start praying to me. Maybe I'll change my mind. He doesn't do that. Instead, Jesus asks a question. A question they couldn't answer. John the Baptist, was his teaching from God or not? Answer this question. I will tell you by what authority I do these things. And the chief priests show their hypocrisy. They don't answer truthfully. They huddle and they talk about how if they answer this way, the crowds will get mad but if they answer that way, the crowds will get mad. And so they show their hypocrisy knowing, showing that they really have no power authority except by manipulating the crowds. And that's what Jesus was pointing out by simply asking the question. And so they say to Jesus, we don't know. They choose not to answer the question. And Jesus says, well, I'm not going to tell you the answer to your question. But then Jesus Having won the debate in front of all the crowds, what does he do? He doesn't even answer the question. He wins the debate. And he takes his divine power authority and proceeds to do the unthinkable, the unimaginable, something you and I would never do. He gives up his life into the hands of these hypocrites and into death on a cross. Jesus gave up his life in humble, sacrificial compassion, so that he could exhibit the greatest authority and power in the history of the world. You see, up until Jesus was lifted up by these hypocrites on a cross, sin reigned. Death had power and authority. But in his death, Jesus declared, it is finished. And with these words, you and I and all who believe receive the gifts of Jesus' divine power and authority. The power over our sin, the power over our death, it's truly finished. So back to the question, if you had all power and authority for one day, one week, what would he do with it? 
Or maybe having read St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, hearing that and considering that, we should change the question. What now are we going to do with this? What are you going to do with the freedom that Jesus' power and authority has won for you over your sin, over your death, and even the devil? What are we going to do with the power and authority that Jesus has now given to us over sin, death, and the devil? And the answer to that question is most important for us to consider. It's the question of your purpose on this earth. Every breath you take, the rest of your life. The purpose of your life. The answer to this question for you, if you answer it according to what you think or feel or desire, well, it's not going to go well for you. And that's why St. Paul says, have this in mind. Have this. Consider Jesus, what he's done in mind. And that is yours in Jesus Christ. All things are yours in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, who, Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient. God became obedient. God should not have to become obedient to anybody, and yet Jesus became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Consider these things. And once you have this in mind, St. Paul exhorts us today, then, he continues, it's God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's a beautiful message. If you want God in your life, all his divine power and authority working for your good pleasure, consider Jesus, what he's done, and it will happen. In Jesus' name, amen.